morning, everyone, and welcome. For any guests who are joining us today, I'm Sean Harrelson, pastor teacher at Crossway Fellowship, and I am excited to open the scriptures with you today. We are studying the Bible's teaching on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. As the Bible's storyline develops and progresses throughout the scriptures, we find that the Holy Spirit's work and role comes more and more to the forefront of God's plan of redemption. In the Old Testament, we discover that the Holy Spirit is, first of all, active in creation. He is the agent of creation, creating the world and the universe, everything that exists. We also see that the Holy Spirit is active in filling certain individuals to empower them to accomplish certain feats of either strength or wisdom. And we see that the Holy Spirit is also active in revealing the words and will of God, both in spoken speech and in written language through the prophets. That revelation includes a promise, a promise that God will someday send a Messiah whose life and work will be uniquely marked by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And when the time of fulfillment comes, Jesus' life and ministry display this unique relationship between himself and God the Spirit, as foretold in the scriptures. And this proves that he is God's anointed one. He is God's Savior King. And because he is God's Savior King, he is the fulfillment of all of God's promises in the Old Testament. The Apostle Peter would summarize it this way as he preached the gospel in the home of Cornelius, the Roman centurion, in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verses 37 and 38. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. But the Old Testament scriptures also promised that the Spirit of God would come in a new way and do a new and profound work in the people of God. How would God accomplish this new and marvelous work? Let's pray. Then we'll go to Acts chapter 2 as today we study the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, give us understanding as we come to your word today. Illumine our minds to grasp the enormity of your designs and your purposes as you have revealed them in the scriptures. We love you, and in your name we ask these things. Amen. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. 
And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. Jesus' disciples have been in Jerusalem for a few days now, waiting for this to take place. And on the day of Pentecost, which was one of the major Jewish celebrations of every year, the city was packed with people who had come to celebrate Pentecost. People from all over the empire. And you can see the representation of these different people groups and languages in the list here in Acts chapter 2. Verse 4 summarizes what was happening. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit had come upon them. The Spirit was empowering them to proclaim new revelation from God. And actually, there's more going on here, as we'll see. This filling was accompanied by signs, the sound of rushing wind, the tongues of fire, the utterance of diverse languages. And it is this sound that causes people to gather. It's the sound that draws people the multitudes to come and see what's going on. They hear a bunch of Galileans speaking all of these various languages, and they hear their own represented in what they hear. Now, their commonly spoken was Aramaic, and all of these people probably spoke Aramaic, but they also had a native language, and that's what they hear the disciples speaking or preaching in. Some are amazed and some are skeptical. It's in the midst of this commotion that the Apostle Peter stands forth and gets everyone's attention. Verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give, and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. 
The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter reveals that this event that is taking place on the day of Pentecost and all of its signs are the fulfillment of prophecy. Specifically, the prophet Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. Now, we understand that not all of the cataclysmic parts of this prophecy are taking place at that moment. The blood, the fire, the vapor and smoke, the sun and the moon being destroyed. Which means that Joel's prophecy covers some events that are future for us as well. But this pouring out of God's Spirit on the people was taking place at that very moment. That part of the prophecy, this was a partial fulfillment, a phase of fulfillment, if you will, of Joel chapter 2. What is significant is that the Spirit comes not only on a prophet or a priest or a king, but on all types of people, men, women, servants. This pouring out of the Spirit was for all. So this then is a key transitional event in God's plan. It is the beginning of a new era or a, a new phase, if you will, in God's program. The details of this event had been hidden. That's what the New Testament tells us. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 4 and 5 call it the mystery of Christ now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So this is the birth of a new people of God, the church, a people whom would all have access to God and know him directly and personally, a people whose hearts would be transformed by God's ever-present ever spirit in their lives, dwelling within them. But how did this come about? How was it that Jesus' disciples are all gathered here in the city of Jerusalem waiting for the Holy Spirit to come? Well, to answer that question, we have to pause and we have to rewind. Because not only did the Old Testament scriptures promise a future greater work and a greater present of God's Spirit, but Jesus himself promised to send the Spirit. He promised to, to give the Spirit, and he revealed to his disciples even more details about that. Of course, if we really want to rewind back to the beginning of in the Gospels where the Holy Spirit is talked about in this way, we have to go all the way back to John, John the Baptist. The earliest word about the, this new work of the Holy Spirit came even before Jesus. So we rewind then to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. John is in the wilderness preaching and baptizing those who are repenting and in response to his preaching. And the people start wondering, could John be the Christ? Maybe this is the Christ. This is his response 
to their speculations in Luke chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now verse 17 makes it clear that the baptism with fire is judgment. And what John the Baptist can see prophetically is the final judgment, the day of the Lord, when the Lord judges all humanity. The baptism of the Holy Spirit that John foresees is the pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost. Now, John is really an Old Testament prophet. He is the last of the Old Testament prophets. We think of him as a New Testament prophet because his prophetic work takes place in the New Testament, but really he is an Old Testament prophet. And from his vantage point, he does not understand how or when either of these events are going to happen. In fact, he probably sees them as one event, this baptism with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He doesn't understand that there's going to be partial and gradual fulfillment of this prophetic vision that he sees. Not only will the Messiah be marked by the Spirit, John says, but he will baptize with the Spirit. Now, Jesus' first prediction of the Spirit's coming is a cryptic one, one that he gives at the Feast of Booths to the crowds, a crowd that is divided over his identity. Is he the Christ or isn't he? Is he a fraud or is he for real? John records in John chapter 7, beginning in verse 37, this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Then John explains in verse 39 what Jesus had meant by that. He didn't, ex he didn't understand it at the time Jesus said it, but decades later as he writes, he now comments and explains. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus is clearly speaking metaphorically here. Thirst, if anyone thirsts, he's saying if anyone desires truth, if anyone truly desires to know and to pursue God, if anyone feels this, this ache and spiritual need, come to me. Jesus is saying he will provide the answers, that he will provide the way. But a true relationship with God requires believing in him. For whoever believes in him, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This living water is, means a spring of life. So it is eternal life. That's what he's talking about here. 
John is revealing that Jesus is describing a work of the Spirit that we call regeneration, which we'll look at more in weeks to come. But take special note of that last line of verse 39. As yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. In other words, faith in Jesus then meant receiving the gift of the Spirit after Jesus was glorified. Glorified, being glorified, refers to his ascension when he rose visibly and physically through the heavens to the right hand of God the Father. Well, next we turn to one of the most illuminating passages in all of the Gospels. We call this the Upper Room Discourse. And only John records this dialogue between Jesus and his twelve disciples. And it is in this Upper Room, the night before he's crucified, he's going to be crucified in a matter of hours. But he is preparing his disciples for his death. One of Jesus' primary encouragements to them is, in their confusion and in their dismay, is the promise of the Helper. The Helper. A capital H, Helper. Now, the word for Helper that we're going to see here in the Gospel of John is the word paraclete. And it means someone who comes alongside. But it's, but it's a word that really has to, it talks about one who is present to strengthen and to guide. That's what a paraclete is. Now for the disciples so far, that has been whom? Jesus himself. Jesus has been their paraclete. He has been their helper to strengthen them and to guide them. Sometimes this word is translated counselor. Sometimes it's translated comforter. That's probably the most common translation of the word comforter. It could be translated encourager. Here in the ESV, they translate it with the word helper. So Jesus promises this divine helper to his disciples. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So, this helper is whom? The Spirit of truth. Jesus would give him or provide him. This helper would be another just like Jesus. In fact, this word another means an exact copy. An exact copy of Jesus. This helper would be with them forever. This is so profound. Whereas the ministry of the Holy Spirit that they would have known in the past would be the Holy Spirit coming upon God's servants and then departing, then coming upon them to empower them or to prophesy, and then departing. Jesus is saying this, this helper, the Spirit of truth, is coming to stay. He's coming to stay. This helper currently is dwelling with them. How? Because Jesus is present. And the Spirit of God is with 
Jesus all the time. And so this helper is currently with them, but when Jesus leaves, he will give him to them, and this helper will be in them. Jesus is hinting at, though not explaining, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit will take up residence in the lives of those who believe in him. Now, Jesus continues to encourage them. John chapter 14, a few verses down, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus now says that the Father will send the Helper. So Jesus and the Father will send the Helper in concert. The Helper will also guide them to reveal Jesus and his teachings. Jesus continues to repeat that he is leaving them. He continues to answer some of their questions. And to their great distress, he again comforts them in chapter 16, beginning in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So Jesus says, there must be this exchange. I must go for the helper to come. And though it may not seem like it at the moment, this was an advantage. This would be an advantage to have the Holy Spirit instead of Jesus. Now that even boggles our own minds. How many, how often have you wished, I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have seen Jesus. I wish I could have witnessed him healing people and casting out demons and heard him teach on the mountainside. I wish I could have been there at the River Jordan when John baptizes him and, the, and the, God the Father speaks in an audible voice and the Holy Spirit descends on him. I wish I could have been there. Jesus says it's an advantage to have the Spirit instead of himself. One of the Helper's works will be to convict the world. In other words, he will have a follow-up ministry in relationship to Jesus' work as the Messiah. This work will begin at Pentecost. Jesus doesn't say that here, but that's what happens in Acts chapter 2. And again, Jesus says he will send the helper to him. Now, wait a second. Isn't Jesus dependent on the Holy Spirit's power and presence as the Messiah? Isn't he been depending upon the Spirit's guidance? Doesn't the Spirit lead him? Doesn't the Spirit empower him? Isn't it the Spirit who authenticates Jesus and authorizes Jesus? Isn't it by God's Spirit that Jesus has been accomplishing miracle after miracle, wonder after wonder? We've seen over and over again that this is so. 
But you see, once Jesus is glorified, once he returns to the right hand of the Father, the operations within the Trinity shift according to the program. And whereas Jesus, the Son of God, being incarnate and not yet glorified, is subordinate to the leading and guiding and power of the Spirit of God, so after he is glorified, God the Son becomes the sender or bestower of God the Spirit. Now, these are all instructions that Jesus gives to them while he is with them. But even after his death and his resurrection, there was a 40-day period of time before his glorification during which Jesus continued to teach his disciples and prepare them for gospel mission. We know that part of Jesus' ministry was simply showing himself to them, revealing himself. He would pop in at dinner. He would show up at the beach when Peter and John had gone back to fishing. The resurrected Lord. But part of his ministry is gathering his disciples and explaining to them how he had to die, how he had to rise from the dead, and what they needed to expect next. One example is John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verses 21 through 23. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And what Jesus does here is symbolic. He is demonstrating what is about to happen. His breathing on them is kind of a deposit. It's like marking them with an X marks the spot for the Spirit to come. That's what this breathing on them is. We find another example in Luke chapter 24. Jesus has just had dinner with the disciples. And by the way, Jesus always says, peace be with you, because he, he seems to just continue to show up in startling ways. <laughs> They're never expecting him, and he just kind of appears. And so he always says, peace be with you, relax, I love you, it's me. And he's just appeared and startled them, and then had dinner with them, showing them that he has risen bodily from the dead. That he's not just a ghost, an apparition, but that he, it is Jesus himself, physically risen. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The coming of the Spirit would empower them to proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins to all nations. And they were to stay in Jerusalem. 
as Luke begins the book of Acts then, he picks up this same theme. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 3 here, he addresses Theophilus in in verse 1, and he says this, Jesus presented himself alive to the apostles after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're expecting the end times, what we think of as the end, the resolution of all things. The kingdom's come. Jesus has risen from the dead. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Don't worry about what, when the end is going to take place. The Father's fixed the times. He knows when it is. You don't need to worry about that. It's not for you to know. But what is for you to know, verse 8, is that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. That is Jesus' ascension. That is his glorification at that moment as he ascends up into the sky. So, there they were, obeying Jesus' instructions, hanging out in Jerusalem, waiting for the promised Holy Spirit, which brings us back to Acts chapter 2. It is here then on the day of Pentecost that all of these promises of the coming of the Spirit are fulfilled. It is here that the Holy Spirit is given or poured out. Peter summarizes what has happened at the toward the end of his sermon here in Acts chapter 2, verses 32 and 33. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. This pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is the promised Holy Spirit. It is the promise of the Father. It is receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is being clothed with power from on high, the power that was promised. So listen, a number of things are taking place all at one time by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. With the baptism of the Holy Spirit, first of all, the 12 disciples are being identified and authenticated as the risen Lord's 
apostles, his spokesmen, his representatives. The sound of the rushing wind, the tongues of fire alighting upon them, are signs that they are uniquely qualified to declare this new truth, these new revelations. The apostles also, secondly, the apostles are being converted as believers under the new covenant. Their life with Christ and their faith had already taken place, but their transformation or their being indwelt by the Holy Spirit had not taken place yet. That happens right here. In other words, they are becoming Christians, even though the word hasn't been starting to be used yet. The word isn't being used yet, Christians, but they are becoming Christians. Thirdly, they are also being filled with the Spirit, and so they are being empowered to bear witness to the crucified and resurrected Christ and empowered to command repentance and offer the forgiveness of sins in his name. At the same time, the Holy Spirit is doing exactly what Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 8, the Spirit would do. He is convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. This is why, as Peter finishes his sermon, the crowd calls out back to Peter and the apostles and said, What shall we do? Their hearts, the text says, were cut to the quick. What then shall we do? Well, how, do how do we be saved? How do we remedy this great evil that we have done in crucifying God's Messiah? Listen. As readers and hearers of Acts chapter 2, we stand with those who heard Peter on that day of Pentecost. Because Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins and rose from the dead, we too must ask, what shall we do? And like they, we should repent, be baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and become a member of God's people. We participate in this great event through our faith in Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. There is no other way you can be a Christian. And next time, we will begin to discover what it means for us to live under the Holy Spirit's new covenant ministry. And we will begin right back here with what it means to experience the baptism of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us to your word today and for nurturing and filling our souls with truth. Lord, we are your people who know you because your spirit has come upon us. You have fulfilled all your promises, and we are the fruit of those promises and the proof of those promises as your church. 
Lord, bless our testimony this week. Lord, continue to sanctify us, to make us holy, to forsake sin, to confess it, to bring it before you openly, to repent of it, and to know your forgiveness and to and to walk in the Spirit. In your name we ask these things. Amen.